In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Pride Soccer Podcast. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope that you will consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I want to thank you for emailing me your questions after last night's game, and I'm going to get to them in just a second, but let's recap Thursday night's MLS action involving Atlanta United, which earned a 2-2 draw at Nashville, a beautiful Nissan Stadium. Um, It was a well-deserved point for Atlanta United, a crucial point for Atlanta United in this tough stretch of games in which it's missing many, many players because of injuries or international call-ups. To recap the game, Anton Walks opened the scoring in the fifth minute off with an assist from Jake Moraney. It was a free kick. It was about 30 yards from goal. Moraney put it across the goal. Anton Walks hit a diving header into the opposite corner. Walks said after the game that it's something that he and Moraney were working on uh, Wednesday. Um, the foul that led to the free kick was won by Marcelino Moreno, who had a, a great game for Atlanta United, playing as kind of the center midfielder. He made a run almost through the top of Atlanta United's penalty box to about 30 yards from goal on Nashville's penalty box. Then Nashville tied it up on uh, its own set piece, Jalil Anibaba, who was, I think, supposed to be marked by Santiago Sosa, who just didn't really mark him, uh, got a free header in the 14th minute to tie the game. Nashville scored in the first minutes of the second half when uh, Eric Torres inexplicably just punched the ball for Atlanta United uh, on a free kick. I'm not quite sure why he did that. No one seems to know why. Uh, Surprisingly dumb is what I wrote because I don't know how else to describe it. Um, Nashville took a 2-1 lead. Now, at this point, Atlanta United, as has been the case a lot in the past couple of seasons, could have folded. But it didn't. Uh, Mo Adams left with an injury uh, earlier in the game. George Campbell came on after Torres handball. Heinze took him off and put on Jackson Conway. So the team had four homegrowns on the field at the same time, a record. And Jackson Conway came through in the 59th minute uh, with a header into goal. Um, it was probably his, his first big touch of the game. He had a layoff earlier, he said. But it reminded me of the game against Club America in which his first touch was a goal. Um, he said it was a play that Heinze has been teaching, a double move that he and Joseph have been teaching to try to, to create space on set pieces, and it worked. He put the head down into the ground like you're supposed to and into the corner. Kevin Egan had a great call on the goal uh, if you're watching at home. And that was it. Uh, you know, statistically, it was a lot like a lot of other Atlanta United games. Uh, only six shots, only two shots on goal. Uh, less than a handful of chances created. But it, the fight team showed the fact that um, 
It didn't give up. I thought it looked just a lot better in some areas of the game. The offense is still very much a work in progress. But I think having the four kids out there, the other two, uh, or the other three, I should say, were Machoke Chole, George Campbell uh, at center back, and um, Tyler Wolf uh, at midfield, it is a good indicator of the future, and it may convince Heidza to play them a little bit more uh, in these next few games until Miles Robinson, George Bello, Ezekiel Barco come back. Um, very interesting. Now, y'all sent me a lot of fantastic questions, and I'm going to get to them right now. And again, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC or on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just Douglas David Robertson. I'm going to try to do a little bit more of that for y'all. You, you seemed to have liked it last night. Um, it's kind of a new thing for me, so I'll figure it out as I go along. Matthew asks, why do you think Kubo was dropping so, so deep to pick up the ball? I understand picking up the ball around midfield, but there were times when he was close to the back line. Uh, that's just part of what Heinze wants him to do. You would see Joseph Martinez doing that, not dropping all the way to the back line, but he would drop in past midfield uh, to pick up the ball. Uh, so I think that's just a tactic that Heinze wants to try to break pressure. And do you think we'll see Kubo Torres again after the handball? I'll be surprised if you see him start for a while because uh, that was just a dumb play. I mean, not only is he not scoring, he's getting positions to score, but not scoring. But when you cost your team a goal with that kind of a play, uh, it'll be interesting. I'm going to be curious to see how Heinze handles this. Um, To Nick. Nick says, I had fun last night watching. It's been a while since I could say that. What do you think is our best chance for points in the next few matches? We're not at our best, but neither is New England or Columbus yet. And Cincinnati is also not very good. Orlando is, and he says, I'm scared. This is a tough stretch of games uh, for Atlanta United. They do. They have New England next. New England is coming off a loss. I need to see if they're playing midweek or not. Um, but they're, Atlanta United's at home, so that's important. But I, I don't think they're going to be favored. It depends on if uh, some of these injured players come back, guys like Joseph Martinez, Alan Franco, uh, those guys. At Cincinnati, Cincinnati's a much, much different team than it was at the beginning of the season. So we'll have to see on that one. Columbus is, again, at home, but Columbus is rounding into form. At Orlando, it's going to be tough. At Montreal, it's going to be tough. At Columbus, is going to be tough. There's just really no – I guess you could say that the home game against Toronto is actually going to be the next one in which Atlanta United is favored, or to borrow a phrase used by Jason and, and – John, uh, get the juice boxes uh, for. Uh, it's going to be very, very tough. Justin says, with all of the injuries affecting our team right now, what can the front office do to provide more depth in our roster? Well, they just signed, or they just traded for the midfielder uh, from Montreal, uh, Amar Sefik. Um You might see him against New England. He'd probably be a bench guy, I think, until he can kind of get a grasp of Heinz's system and everything that's going on. Daredeals told me on uh, Wednesday, uh, and I need to get to that phrase in a second, um, that the team is looking to add a starter. Didn't want to say what position, uh, but it is looking to add a starter. Um, So that's really all they can do. They've only got the one roster slot left uh, unless they release someone or trade someone. Um, That's MLS rules. 
and the transfer window closes like August, mid or early August. So they have about a month to do it. Um, continuing with Justin, it seems as though Heinze will need to rotate players more frequently to prevent further injuries, which he's not doing. I would disagree with that. Uh, you saw Chol get his first start. You saw Wolf get his second start. You saw Campbell come in. You saw Conway come in. There's really nobody left to use. Uh, he, he, you know, this is how it is. You saw Dijon play last night. Um, our players need to play with, or, or that our players need to play with less intensity on the field, which appears to be the case. What are your thoughts being that Mo Adams is also injured? We can't catch a break, and it's frustrating. I've asked the team for an update on Mo Adams. Uh, should I get one? I'll let you know. Um, sometimes they're forthcoming with that, and sometimes they're not forthcoming with that. I've also asked if they're going to appeal the red card. They typically don't say if they're going to appeal something. Um, they just let the, the results happen, and then the league announces it. So we'll see what they say about that. Now I'm going to take a quick sip of my cup of joe, because I love a good cup of joe. Oh, that's good stuff. All right. Back to your questions. Oh, first I want to get into, so last night I tweeted that uh, Darren Eels told me, and then I put parenthetical, uh, which is an odd phrase my TV friends like to use. And that was really, it wasn't meant to, to be at Jillian or Kevin or, or Mo, the Atlanta United guys. It's more the, uh, the college football uh, sideline reporters. When, or the analysts, when they'll say that Coach So-and-so told me, uh, or we caught up with Coach So-and-so, and he told us that, well, the thing is, all these coaches are contractually obligated to talk to those networks because those networks are paid a lot of money. And it, it, it comes across like the coach wanted to talk to the TV guys or whomever it is. And coaches hate talking to the media. Most of them do anyway. They would rather do anything with this. And it happens – typically on like the Friday, which is the one day that everything is already done and they can kind of focus on little things and instead they've got to stop and, and do this stuff. Uh, so it wasn't meant as a, as a, a negative toward, toward those guys in the studio. I, I love listening to Jillian and Kevin and Mo. that's been one of the benefits of this COVID stuff and not being at the stadium is I get to listen to them and hear what they have to say about the game. And usually it's spot on um, or it's almost always spot on, I should say. So apologies if they took if if what I said uh, offended that was not my intent and I think they do a fantastic job. Um, okay, back to the questions. Will asks, I don't have a good grasp on formations and tactics, but Brooks Lennon didn't seem to come forward and serve as many crosses as he has in other games. Now you're you're correct on that. Um, I think that he was just tasked with making sure that the back line. Um, didn't get breached or, or flanked. And he did that. Uh, this last night was the first game in a while that uh, Brooks didn't create um, a chance. He usually is the uh, team leader and chances created on the other side. Jake Mulraney created two chances, but one of them was on the free kick to Anton walks. Um, and Atlanta United didn't have a lot of corners last night. They only had three. And I don't think Brooks, maybe he took one of them. I think Moreno took another uh, so he just didn't get a lot of chances last night. Um, we, and that's really odd because he was playing as a wing back, so he should have been able to get forward more. So I think that was just a tactical decision by the team, and that's that's why. 
Uh, Adam asks, I'll avoid the obvious questions about Torres' struggles and Moreno's red card. Does Moreno's display tonight mean he'll play more centrally once Barco returns? He seemed more effective in that role, especially in the closing stages as Atlanta United tried to see it, tried to see out the match. I've said over and over again, I think Moreno is much better centrally than on the wing. Uh, I, I think that Barco is going to end up as a bench player by the end of the season, if he's still on the team. Uh, for some of those reasons, I agree with you. When Moreno gets the ball and drives forward, he usually can get quite a good ways down the field before he gets caught and, and fouled, or he can get rid of the ball, which is unlike Barco. Barco, you'll see Barco sometimes making those runs down the middle, but it's usually because it's a counterattack and there's no one to chase him. Moreno can just get away from people. He needs to improve his decision-making in the final third. Um, sometimes he just hesitates a little bit too much, but I thought he had a fantastic game last night, uh, probably one of his better games this season, even though he didn't get on the score sheet, but he was just a factor all over the field. Coffee sip. And then Adam continues, uh, just to look at Marino's stat line real quick, I'm sorry, before we get to the next part of the question. Um, he had one shot, created two chances, was fouled eight times, which I think is probably one of the highest totals I can remember since I think Pitti Martinez uh, at Monterey in that first Champions League game. Uh, it was a huge, it was a huge number. And in all honesty, most of them were real fouls. It wasn't Marino looking for a foul, which I think is what Barco does sometimes. Um, Adam asks, does the team dis display invite more consideration by Eels to explore options for selling and replacing Barco? There's no denying Barco's talents, but he lacks the ability to take over games. If altered lineups and formations can yield results like this tonight, does that still hope that money directed toward Barco can be better spent uh, in another player? Uh, this is also something that I keep saying. To, to sell, you have to have a buyer. And it has to be a buyer who's offering a, a reasonable value. Eels told me on Wednesday team has not had any offers from anyone for any of uh, for Barco, Robinson, or Bello. So, I mean, right now, Barco has to show that he is worth buying, and I don't think you're getting that right now. So, there you go. I don't know what else the team can do. It can't sell unless someone wants to buy. Um, but yeah, I thought the team looked better. And not to well, I guess I'm gonna to have to be that guy right now. You got to keep in mind Nashville was playing without two or three of its usual starters because of call-ups, and they did have two goal, two more goals ruled back for offside. So this easily could have been four to two in favor of Nashville last night. Um, but it was a good display by Atlanta United. Fong, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Fong. If I did not, if I'm not, I apologize. I still don't get why Atlanta keeps trying to play out of the back from goal kicks. Most of the time, it just puts pressure on the CBs and goalkeeper, especially against high-press teams. There have been too many times where, from a goal kick, the CBs just end up giving away the ball from a goal kick or clearing it out of bounds, getting the team nowhere. I haven't really seen any positives doing this, so why does Atlanta keep doing it? It's a good question, and I thought about this last night because there was one play when Alec can passed it to Anton Walks, like five yards to his left, and Walks just turned and booted it up the field. And I was thinking to myself, well, why didn't Alec just do that in the first place? 
and have everyone higher up the field anyway. And it's because this is what Heinzel wants to do. It's kind of the rage in soccer right now. Heinzel wants to keep the ball. The easiest way to keep the ball is with short passes rather than long boots up the field. I don't think Atlanta United probably had anyone higher up the field at the time that was good in the air and it could win a long ball. So I think that's a few reasons why they did that last night. But I do agree with you. In it, it, I tweeted this last week watching the Euros. It always cracks me up when a team spends, you know, five to six minutes chasing the ball, finally gets it, passes it back to the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper just boots it up the field and they lose possession. All that work undone. Uh, it's kind of like that. Uh, so I, I agree with your train of thought, Fong. Uh, we'll just have to see what happens. Michael asks, any news on Dijon? He was definitely holding that arm shoulder at the end. No, uh, I need to – I've asked about the injuries. We'll see if the team gives us any information. I thought, um, you know, Alex had, uh, I think, one bad, really bad pass. But overall, I thought he played well uh, in his spot start for the team, completed 80% of his passes, um, much better than his performance earlier this year. So hopefully he's going to be okay, and we'll see what happens. You never want to see anyone get injured. Alex asks, uh, actually, I'm going to come back to Alex's question because it's a good one. James asks, curious what you thought of George Campbell and how he might factor into things going forward. He had a better game tonight than Franco has looked all year. Talk about Alan Franco. Uh, I thought, you know, Campbell was solid. And that's a good start for a very young player and making just his second appearance ever with the first team. Um, especially when he was put in there um, in an emergency situation with Mo Adams being injured. That may have been the best thing for him. He didn't have time to think, didn't have time to dwell, just had to get on the field and go. Um, I think Campbell's got a really, really bright future. He just got to get playing time, either with the twos or with the senior team. Um, should Atlanta United sell uh, Robinson at some point, I could see Campbell coming in. Uh, or, or competing with Alan Franco for that starting spot because you're right, Franco. Um, he hasn't been able to to show what he's got because he hasn't been able to get on the field consistently, and that that's been a big problem. And when he has, the team has leak goals, and those aren't all Franco's fault. It's just unfortunate circumstances. Um, John says, "Do you think even Heinze has lost what little faith he had in Kubo?" Now, he got the hook pretty quick after that disastrous decision to play keeper. Yeah, you're right. Heinze did not mess around with taking him out of the game. And that's why I tweeted, I'll be surprised if you see him play another minute. That was probably a little harsh on my part. I think he will end up playing a little bit again. I don't think you're going to see him start for a little while, though. Uh, you just can't do that. You cannot put your team in that kind of a position. Uh, that's kind of the same question Ben asked about Kubo. Matt says, I like the 3-5-2. Once again, we were forced into it by circumstances, but looked better in it. Do you think that would be a better fit for the roster going forward, even when healthy? Yes, I've said this many, many times throughout many, many different coaches. Uh, once Tata put that in, I really liked how it worked. And I think it does fit Atlanta United's personnel better, particularly the wing backs, Lennon and Bellow. It gives them the option of bringing a center back forward along with a midfielder to add to the attack if they want to. Um, but the team, I know statistically it was about the same last night, but you have to keep in mind so many new players and young players in the lineup. But I've always thought that the 3-5-2 worked better. When they did that in the second half against Red Bulls, they took control of that game and that 0-0 draw. 
I thought for sure you were going to see it in the next game at Chicago, but Heinz went back to the back four for some reason, and they got blown out of the water. They come back to it in this game, and they get a good result. And they seem to – they lost control of the game in the first half um, for a long stretch, but then they kind of got it back again, I thought, in the second half, or at least made it look more neutral than it did in the first half against Nashville. So that was important. Um, now let's go back to Alex's question. Because it's very important. Let me take a quick coffee sip here before I, I dive into this. Good stuff. Uh, Alex says, do you think this game will be a turning point in the season? Hines has seemed to learn to trust the kids, Conway, Campbell, Chol, and Wolf, bench Torres, and play Moreno centrally, which is a quality foundation we could have success on when Miles, Bellow, and Joseph return. So I thought about tweeting this before the game, but I didn't want to because I hate the hyperbole. But I thought this national game might be the most important game of the season for Atlanta United. Had they gotten blown out in consecutive games, Chicago and then this one, it could have started a spiral that could have, might be hard to recover from, might have put the team in too big of a hole when all the players come back from call-ups or injuries uh, at the beginning of August. Um, but instead, you saw fight, you saw spark, uh, you saw something you haven't seen in a long time. So, yes, I think this could be a turning point. Now, i got a caution. If you remember last year, Atlanta United went to D.C. and won 4 to nothing, and we all thought, okay, now the team has figured it out, it's going to fight for the rest of the season, and then it just went kaboom in the remaining games and missed out on the playoffs when it was in its grasp to make it. So, you can't just look at the one game. This one game is a good first step, but now you have to see what happens uh, when the team hosts New England next week at Mercedes-Benz. That's going to be the next game is going to be the important one. I always joke in golf, I can hit a great drive, but it's the second shot that kills me. It's going to be the same for Atlanta United with the second game. It's always the next game. Uh, okay, we got one more question that just came in from Sean, who always has fantastic questions. So let me tack this into my little Microsoft Word document here where I keep track of everything. Um, and Sean asks, uh, although there are shortcomings from each of the homegrowns, I think at this point we need to give them minutes. Find a way. Can you rank, based on circumstances and quality, who of the homegrown should see the most minutes going forward? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, so I think it'll be Chal will get the most minutes, followed by Wolf, then Conway, and then Campbell. And I say that about Conway because Joseph, I think, is going to be back for the New England game. And I like Chol as a striker. You put Chol and Joseph up there together, and you could get something. you got to keep in mind, though, that Joseph typically works better as a single striker, not as a double striker because he likes that space to move around in. So we'll have to see. Campbell... It'll depend on if Dijon is injured or not. Uh, and Wolf, this was his second start. And, you know, he wasn't spectacular, but he was steady. So I think he's going to continue to get that start in that position. Uh, that's a great question, though. Uh, you tweeted that we shouldn't get ahead of ourselves. And I just talked about that, but I will. All right, Sean. How can we not say that this is a character-building game? I didn't, I, I didn't say it wasn't a character-building game. I think it's a great character-building game. Uh, fantastic character-building game. It's just, as I was just saying, it's the next game that's always important. You can't 
get the one point from this game and then go into the next game and get blown out. That you, because then you're just starting all back over again. How does this kind of game reflect on coaching? Well, Hines had the courage to put the player, the kids in, uh, had the courage to stick with them, and they uh, fulfilled his expectations. They showed that they can put into place what they work on in training. Hines has said that's very, I mean, he talked about after the game, very, very important. Um, so we'll see what, what happens. Uh, when would we know if Mulraney would get the red card overturned? I think probably, I think the appeals uh, group meets on Thursdays or like two, day before, two days before the next big block of games. Um, so I think we'll know by Thursday um, if it's announced. So those are great questions, Sean. Always appreciate your input. And let me go to the Twitters and see if anyone asked anything. Um, nope, I don't see I don't see any other questions. So we're going to wrap this uh, Southern Fried Soccer podcast up at Lenny United 2, National 2. Um, I hope that you'll consider subscribing to the podcast. Um, I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. That's D-O-U-G-R-O-B-E-R-S-O-N AJC. Or follow on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. You can follow me on Instagram at Douglas David Robertson. I'm going to try to do more live things. They are talking about lineups, just little bits of news uh, for you because um, y'all seemed to like that last night. Uh, and again, please support all the other folks who contribute to the media sphere of Atlanta United, the guys at Dirty South, uh, the guys at Siempre, though I didn't see them last night. Um, Felipe's work, uh, Jillian's work uh, with her podcast, all of Dan's work with all the various things he does, uh, Mo. Uh, it's a unique situation in Major League Soccer, I think, uh, to have this many different outlets uh, covering one team. Um, so please, uh, you know, let's not let's not be tribal. Uh, let's consume everyone's content. And I hope y'all have a good day. I'm going to go try to enjoy Sandestin here on my working vacation with my family. And uh, I just posted a follow on the kids, and I might write one more about Jackson Conway while I wait on all these teenagers to wake up. All right, this is Doug Robertson at Lenny United 2, Nashville 2. Y'all take care. <laughs>